0: There are all sorts of of mysteries in this world. And some of those mysteries are good, right? You like to go and and read a good mystery or watch a good mystery show, and and we enjoy those. Then there are other types of mysteries, like who drank all but the last little sip of milk and put it back in the refrigerator? Do You like those kind of mysteries? There's all sorts of mysteries that we encounter in life, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. But Paul talks about a mystery related to the gospel of Christ and that was a good mystery and sometimes we think about mysteries and we do think about them in terms of the John Gresham type of books or the Sherlock Holmes type of books or or, you know a detective show that we might watch on on television and that's in our mind what we think about we think about a mystery but truly the idea of a mystery is something that is hidden from our knowledge, something that is hidden from our view. And so anytime there is something that we can't see, we can't know about, but we know it's there, we just can't figure it out. We don't have all the pieces to understand it or know it. That's a mystery. And Paul says for many folks, the mystery of the gospel was that Jew and Gentile alike would someday be able to have salvation. As we continue thinking about the book of Ephesians in our study of that new testament book we come to ephesians chapter 3 today and paul is talking about that mystery so if you have your bibles with you this morning please be turning to ephesians chapter 3 and as you turn to ephesians chapter 3 we want to think about paul's basis of knowledge for the secret that he is talking about we want to think about the content of that secret or that mystery And then we want to understand how that is good news for us. So by now you've turned to Ephesians chapter 3, and I want us to begin looking at Paul's words here. Remember, as we saw last week, Paul had been talking about uh, how the Gentiles had been brought into one relationship, uh, one household, one family with the Jews uh, and our understanding of what a work is in that context. And he's really continuing that discussion here in chapter 3. But now he turns the tables just a little bit and he talks about this mystery. Notice what he says, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, you, uh, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which when in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If we pause there for just a second, we see what the mystery is. We get to see what was unknown, what was secret, but is now known. And, and he says that secret uh, was that the Gentiles now get to be part of that family of God. All those things that we saw last week in chapter 2, where he says the Gentiles were distant, the Gentiles didn't, weren't uh, partakers of the covenants of hope. Uh, they didn't have any of that knowledge. He says now they have that knowledge. Now they get to become fellow heirs. Verse 6, fellow members of the body of Christ, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. In in the nutshell, that's it. That's the mystery. Folks, you have skipped ahead to the end of the book. You don't have to read that 500-page novel. You've got the answer right there. You know who done it. That's it. Now set that aside for a second. We're going to come back to that. But we begin looking at the section by Paul saying, this was a mystery. This was unknown. And as he talked last week in chapter 2, and he talks about how there was so much tension, so much anger, so much animosity between Jews and Gentiles because the Jews were convinced you've got to be circumcised if you're going to be a Christian. Paul says, that's not it at all. That's that works that we talked about last week. He says the fact that the Gentiles get to be in God's family, that was unknown. That was not revealed uh, to people in past generations. And so Paul's going to talk about the fact that this mystery has now been made known. So we want to know what is the basis of his knowledge for that secret. Paul was made aware of the secret for the benefit of the Gentiles. Did you notice he said, I am a prisoner for your sake? Verse 1. Verse 2, by God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before. Paul says the reason I got to get the knowledge, the reason I got to uh, find out the mystery, the answer to the mystery, was all so that I could make it known to you, the Gentiles. Now, if you're a Gentile Christian in Ephesus reading this for the first time, that's going to be comforting to you. Because there are people in the church there at Ephesus, evidently, that were creating problems, creating tensions. Uh, If you weren't an ethnic Jew as a Christian, that was a problem. Paul says, guys, I'm here to tell you, the Gentiles get to be part of the body too. And God calling me was all about getting to share with the Gentiles that they get to be a part of the family too. When you were a little kid and it came time to pick for the kickball team or the softball team or the baseball game or whatever, when were you picked? Were you the first one picked or were you the last one picked? If you're the last one picked, that, that kind of hurts a little bit. That stings a little bit, right? When you were a little kid, or maybe when you were a big kid, in high school or college or whatever, were, were there groups that you wanted to be a part of that people just kind of said, "Nah, keep moving, buddy, go to the next table? That stings, doesn't it? When you're not in the group. And so for these Gentile Christians, this stings. But Paul says, no, no, that's not right. That's not what God wants. God wants these folks to be in his kingdom. That was his mystery. This was his plan from the beginning. And so Paul says, God made me a preacher, a minister, a missionary for the very purpose that I could go out to these Gentiles and tell them this good news. And and so Paul says, I I told you before, verse 3, I wrote in brief that this mystery had been made known to me. Some folks believe that maybe that's a reference back to chapter 1 and verse 9 when he slightly hinted at this idea that he'd been made known to this mystery, but that there is a mystery that he had secret knowledge of. But I want you to think about Paul's relationship. As he writes this, he's sitting in, in a jail cell somewhere. Most scholars believe this was his first or only Roman imprisonment. There's lots of debate about how many times Paul was arrested and, and sent to Rome. Uh, we don't have to ha- rehash all that right now. But just know he's in jail somewhere, probably in Rome, on a death sentence. And we don't know what the outcome of that is for Paul. But he's riding from jail to remind these Christians of his mission that God gave him. He said it was made known to him according to the standard of revelation. He didn't figure this out by himself. Nobody else told him this. He didn't get it from a YouTube video. It came from God. It was revealed to him directly. Now, we know about some of Paul's travels, don't we? We know how before he was a Christian, Paul was on his way to Damascus to find Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. And that's when, quite literally, he saw the light, right? Acts tells us that the light came right down on him, blinded him, and he heard a voice of of Jesus speaking to him, and it was revealed to him. Now, in Acts chapter 26, Paul is talking to King Agrippa, and he's retelling that story. I want you to listen to what Paul tells King Agrippa because he adds some details here that we don't get to see in that original story earlier in the book of Acts when we're introduced to Paul. But notice what he says Jesus says to him, Acts chapter 26, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. He says, But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness not only of the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the, from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul retelling to Agrippa his conversion story. And he says, you know, when I was on that road, not only did I see a light, and not only did that that light tell me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And and then he sends me on up to Damascus to meet this guy named Ananias. Paul says, not only did he tell me that, Luke recorded that back there in, in Acts 8. Okay, But Paul, as he's telling Agrippa, says, let me tell you some other things that he told me. He says, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to let that work around in your mind for a second. Because Paul, by political party, was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees believed in a separation of sorts from the Gentiles. Not a physical separation like we've got to go move out of town and, and be in our own little community. That was, there was a different political party that that was their mindset. Those were the, the Essenes. But Paul in, it was a part of the Pharisees that said, we can't, we can't interact with Gentiles if we see them in, in the city street. If we do see them, we've got to go through some, some steps uh, to become uh, ceremonially, ceremonially clean again. And we're not going to do business with, with anyone that's not a Jew. Were avoided as much as possible. In that sense, they were separatists. They wanted to set themselves apart. That's who Paul was. And we know from other passages of the New Testament that Paul considered himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he made sure that he was following everything by the book or by the rabbinical t- teaching to make sure that he followed the rules so that he wouldn't engage with, with anyone so that he could be clean all the time, ceremonially clean. That very man, that very man who also believes that Christianity is so wrong that he's willing to get uh, written papers from the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem to go outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, going far beyond the authority of those Jewish leaders, willing to take papers from those folks so that they could go to the synagogues in other parts of what we would call... Palestine today, go to those other cities, those other places, and go to those Jewish just synagogues and say, now you tell me, who are the members of your synagogue who have become Christians? Because I'm going to take them back to Jerusalem, and they're going to be prosecuted for being Christians. That very man, Paul, Paul finds out, God says to him, Jesus says to him, I'm sending you, not only am I going to send you to go t- tell Jews about Christianity, but my main purpose for you, Paul, is that you're going to go talk to those Gentiles about Christianity. Can you imagine the change in Paul's life that Jesus is calling him to to completely turn around his thinking and his behavior? He goes from persecuting Christians to being a Christian that promotes Christianity. That was the change that Paul made. But you see, as Paul's writing to these Christians at the church at Ephesus, he's looking at those Gentiles, so to speak, and he's saying, God gave me this mission so that you could know the mystery, the mystery that you too can be a part of the family of God, that you too can be a part of his kingdom. And he says, this was revealed to me. Now, there are some other things about Paul that sometimes we miss as we read through the New Testament. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-4, through we're not going to read it right now, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1-4, Paul talks about other visions that he has had in which he was caught up in a vision into the highest heaven or to the third heaven. And he hears words that he's not allowed to speak. They're so precious. In Galatians chapter 1. And in Galatians... Chapter 1, verse 12, and verses 15 through 17, Paul talks about how he becomes converted there at Damascus, and then he goes out into Arabia. Now, when you and I think about Arabia, we think about Saudi Arabia, but he's not talking about our map. He's talking about the map of the Roman world at that day. Damascus was on the edge of what was known as Arabia. And so he goes out into the wilderness. We're not sure how long he was there. But there are some that speculate where maybe Paul had... Some additional training while he was there. Paul talks about his travels, and scholars try to put everything that he says in Galatians chapter 1 into a nice, neat little timeline, and they have a hard time doing that. But the point is, it seems to be that Paul had more than just that vision on the road to Damascus, that there was some additional training a revelation that he received. Remember, as he tells that story in Acts chapter 26 to Agrippa, Jesus is talking to him then, and he says, I, will, I am telling you now of some things, but I will tell you, I will appear to you in the future some things as well. And so the point of all of that is to say that Paul had more than just that occurrence on the road to Damascus. As an apostle, he received more and more instruction and vision from Jesus directly. And so all of that goes back into Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul is saying the, the source of my information for knowing this mystery is not because somebody told me, not because somebody else whispered it in my ear. I received it from God directly. That is the basis of his preaching. And that's why he's preaching it. So now that we've considered the, the basis of his knowledge, let's think about the content of that mystery. We've already mentioned it. Verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body of members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now skip down and notice what he says, beginning in verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through him, or through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. There's a lot to unpack there. But as we look at this, here's what I hope that you'll notice. Again, he's speaking to the Gentiles. And and he says, this this was my purpose. This is why I was authorized as an apostle, to go and teach the unfathomable riches of Christ, verse 8. Verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold. That's not a word we use very often. But manifold means to have many sides. Many sides, an abundance, a greatness. There are many sides to the wisdom of God, and we can't understand all those sides of God's wisdom. But he says that in the context of talking about the unfathomable riches of God's grace, the unfathomable riches of God's grace. He says, I was given a commission. That commission was to let the Gentiles know of the unfathomable, the uncountable riches of God's grace. You can't quantify it, folks. It's so great. Who's the richest person that you can think of? Not necessarily in your immediate sphere of people you know. But I mean, when you think about people in the United States, I mean, who, who would you say? Warren Buffett? You know? President, somebody else, I don't don't keep track of rich guys, I don't know, I know Buffett and Trump, you know, I don't know anybody else, Kim Kardashian, she's done a lot, right? There, I mean, we can think of people, right? In class, we were talking about people that have special talents, like LeBron James, Stephon Curry, you know, you know, you know. It'd be great to have some of that talent. You know, those people get paid tremendous amounts of money to be able to do what they're, what they're able to do. And I can promise you, I can do the same things. I can. If you just give me a six-foot hoop, I can at least try, right? There are people that have riches that we can't count. You know, there are people that, that wish they could know all, you know, Warren Buffett's money. You know, they, they follow Warren Buffett. Does he make a trade deal? Oh, we better go make the same trade deal, you know. Sell your stocks. You know, Warren Buffett just sold his stock. Their riches can't compare. And what Paul's point is, he's saying to these Gentiles, all the things in your life, all the deeds that you've done, all the sin that you've done in your life, everything that makes you feel like you're not worthy of anybody else, God says, forget about that. Because my grace is so great, so mighty, so abundant, so rich. My love for you is so tremendous, so wide, so deep, so tall, so encompassing that I can take all of those things and throw them away and not remember them anymore. My love for you and my grace that I want to give you is so great and, and, and so mighty that you can't even fathom how rich my love and my grace for you is. When was the last time you got in a family argument, a family fight? Who started that thing? <laughs> Who started that thing? Was it him or was it her? Was it somebody else? You still got that on your mind, don't you? I'm stirring the pot, trying to give you a great car ride home, right? But here's the point. We hold on to that, right? And maybe you've made up since then, right? Uh, And that's all good, but you know what? We still hold on to that. God doesn't. And it's possible, I suppose, for us to get in so many arguments, uh, have so many harsh discussions, uh, that sometimes we see relationships go down the tubes, don't we? Not with God. Not with God. We can't fathom His love that He has for us. We can't fathom the grace that that He has for us. And and so Paul says, uh, "This this is what I was made a preacher for. This isn't just for the Jews. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. That's not what it's about. He says, guys, you can't understand how much God loves you and how rich His grace is for you. And there's one other thing. We're running out of time. I've gone off the trail too many times. But here's one other thing that I want us to point out. He says, verse 10, so the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we think about the church, it's not a place that we go. It's who we are. And it was always a part of God's plan. It was always a part of God's plan that you could become a part of a group of people that love God and want to encourage each other, want to help each other, want to worship God together. And if we had time to read all the New Testament this morning, we would see over and over again, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. You are one body. You are one temple. The church wasn't something that Jesus just did because there was a mistake along the way and he wasn't able to establish his kingdom on earth. And, and so let me just do the church in, 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 a, in a last plan B effort. He says, Paul does here, this was in accordance with his eternal purpose. God's plan from the beginning is that people who messed up their relationship with God could be in a right relationship with God again. And enjoy his love and his grace. And that those people collectively would come together and form a family. And that family's his church. And in that church you find love, and you find healing, and you find grace, and you find accountability, and you find responsibility, but you find God's love. That's the beauty of the church, and that's what's here for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been able to become a part of God's church or a part of God's body. You haven't been able to receive or acknowledge His gift of grace to you. You haven't been able to receive His forgiveness of sins, but you can do that now by being united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. If that's what you need to do or if you need prayers from the church for any other thing, we'd be happy to do that with you as well, whatever you need. Once not you come? Because together we stand and sing.